Welcome back, Chris, from Hey Jason. Vacation. Yeah, yeah. We almost didn't make it back. <laughs> we got oh, stuck yeah? in we got so I went to Colorado for a week. Um and on our way back, we're driving to the Denver airport and we get stuck in Vail because they shut down the interstate for uh you know bad snowstorm. And luckily we like we pulled over because the cops and everything had had blocked the road. Um, so we like stopped at this place and we were looking out the window at the interstate and saw, you know, cars driving by. We were like, we better get in the car as quick as we can because it looks like they reopened it, maybe just temporarily. So we got to the airport and then got to the plane and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, halfway through our flight back, the we hit some pretty bad turbulence and then we're circling around Kansas city cause we couldn't get back into St. Louis because there was bad weather there too. Um, tornadoes and stuff. So it was, uh, it was a rough, uh, you know, end of the vacation. <laughs> that sounds like my nightmare. Yeah, it was, well, we clearly we made it all in one piece, but yeah, it was, it's kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> How are you I've, doing? I'm good. Uh, things are good. I don't. I don't know that there's a lot of new things to talk about in my life. Uh, you didn't have any harrowing life experiences in the last week. Uh, I have, but I don't know if they're like podcast shareable. Mm, okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> they're not Ruby related. <laughs> no, they're like life related. I also, I guess, the biggest news is I got ten dollars back from my mortgage company. So, oh, nice. Where are you going to spend it all in one place? I don't know. I just spilt water on the check before we started. I don't even, how do checks work? Can they like, will they take a wet check online? Dude, I just uh, scan them in on my phone and deposit them now. That's what I do. I am, I'm bad with banks. Well, uh, so by the time this one goes on, we'll have had two live recorded episodes out in the world uh, from RailsConf. Those were fun. Awesome. And also, uh, horrible to experience live just like we were up in that area like that whole week and it was so quiet but then like i became so aware of every sound when we started recording (laughs) yeah did you how did the editing go uh it was it took a little bit of work uh somebody told me that justin's episode turned out all right and so that made me feel pretty good that's good because both of those had quite a few interruptions (laughs) yeah it's uh I just put it on and listened through and where there were interruptions, I just cut them out and tried to make it not sound like the worst thing in the world. But Cool. Well, that's yeah. good. That was an experiment. Turned out cool. all right. We also, I realized we have some reviews on iTunes. Oh, yeah. I've never looked, actually. That's funny. I don't know what made me look the other day. There's like six ratings. Uh, somebody gave us two stars, which made me sad. Ooh. We need more people to give us a review on iTunes then. So. Yeah, I think I think the review we have, so like everybody gave stars so far, and they were all good except that one, and then Ernesto gave us a rating. Cool. Sweet, sweet awesome. person. Well, that is uh, good to hear mostly. Uh, it looks like, what, all five stars except for the one, the two yeah, star? it's all right. That's fine with me. Um, that is how it goes. We got lots to learn. Yeah, I always like five years ago that would have like paralyzed me uh because of my anxiety, but now I'm now I'm just like, man, I wish I would have known what we could have done better. 
but yeah well cool uh if anybody is listening uh and you want to give us a rating please do on itunes then because that that helps a lot yeah helps us know you're listening and you're interested yeah so today uh we are joined by lee richmond uh lee do you mind giving just a quick hello and introduction uh yeah hey everybody i'm super happy to be here uh, my name is Lee Richmond. Uh, I will rate you guys on iTunes right after this. Uh, I'm a software engineer at uh, Bloomberg Government, and I am the creator of Graffiti, which is a uh, API alternative to GraphQL, or generally the best way to build APIs using Ruby on Rails. Very awesome. cool. Lee, what, uh, what's your background in programming, life, anything you want to share? Sure. Uh, so I actually came from a, a non-technical background. I was a political science major. I struggled getting a job out of college. Uh, I ended up working at Custom Inc., which is a custom t-shirt company. And I was working as a search engine marketer. And search engine marketers have to deal with Excel a lot. Uh, this is millions of keywords and phrases and conversion rates and figuring out just kind of what works and what doesn't and how you want to change your algorithms. And so I had this kind of grunt work job because it was right out of college. And I was spending maybe four or five hours a day just going into various systems and pulling down pieces of data and plugging them into Excel and doing Excel formulas. And it was very robotic and not fun. Um, and so I started learning Excel a little bit and doing macros and uh, eventually ended up writing VBA to the point that uh, I could open up IE6 uh, and cause it to log into our analytics providers and scrape all the data and bring it into our, our spreadsheets and do all the formulas kind of automatically so that I wouldn't have to spend four or five hours a day doing it. And after I did that, I, 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 I kind of looked around and said, oh, well, wow, like I'm, I'm programming. Um, I enjoy programming. Uh, and so I was, I was lucky enough to be working at a company that really supported me um, as I kind of transitioned from that marketing team uh, to the tech team. And that's how I uh, began with Ruby on Rails as well. That's awesome. So you have a project, uh, Graffiti, right? That's the name? Yeah, Graffiti with a PH. Yeah, it's got a fantastic little website and a wonderful little logo, uh, ah, which are... Uh, all the things that I look for in an open source <laughs> uh, project. Uh, for those uh, kind of unfamiliar, uh, well, before we get that into that, so graffiti is uh, really, really high level. It's GraphQL and Rails kind of merged together. Yeah, right? yeah, I, I, I think that you could say that. And so. Before we kind of get into graffiti itself, would you mind, maybe for those uh, unfamiliar with GraphQL or just maybe just heard the term, uh, would you mind just providing kind of a high-level overview of what that is? Yeah. Uh, let me go about this in two ways. Uh, let me give you the, the short one and a long one. Uh, the short one is that uh, if you think about an, uh, a traditional REST API, like we would get by default with Rails, where maybe we have our, our traditional blog uh, one of the things that GraphQL does is say, okay, when I'm fetching the posts, I only want to get these specific fields uh, for the posts um, because that's better for mobile clients so they don't have to, to download as much data. Uh, it also allows you to say, okay, give me the posts and the comments in a single request. And that can also be advantageous uh, for mobile uh, applications so that you're not having to do all these various round trips. 
Um, and then the third kind of big thing that I think GraphQL does is add a schema and types um, so that clients can uh, kind of see your API and know what it does. And you can also build intelligent tooling around it like Graphical, which is GraphQL's editor. Um, so all of these things are how we kind of transition from maybe a, a typical Rails API to, to GraphQL to solve a lot of those problems. Um, and if anyone wanted to follow up on that, I, I think there are great posts on, on GitHub engineering blog in particular. Uh, for me, though, I actually didn't start this kind of journey by looking at GraphQL and understanding it and trying to build an alternative. I think it's actually helpful to go back and just think about a use case. Like, why do people do this in the first place? Why, why do we need to fetch the post in the comments in a single request? Like, when does that prop up? And the use case that I had, I was working for Bloomberg proper at the time. Uh, right now I work for Bloomberg government, but I was actually working for uh, Bloomberg's infrastructure team that was trying to keep track of all of our servers and packages and libraries and uh, know what was out of date uh, uh, and, and kind of give warnings about uh, various problems in the systems. And so I had to do three things. I had to serve as the endpoint for an ETL. There were a bunch of people doing machine learning and grabbing all that data, and then they were sending it to me to actually put it into the database, so sending it to my API. I also had to be a API for anyone else at the company. So for instance, like the chef team would hit my API to say like, all right, what, what packages are on here and what needs to be updated and, and what needs, what, what's having a problem right now? What warnings should I do? What, what, what emails do I have to send to, to people to know they have to upgrade? And then the third thing was I was serving as the backend for an Ember app. And because Ember at the time uh, was, and, and still is, but uh, Ember had just kind of raised J the JSON API standard as kind of a first-class citizen. And the JSON API standard uh, was created by Yehuda Katz. And I think that this is not obvious to people at first glance, but it's actually kind of the precursor to GraphQL. Uh, it solved a lot of those problems that I mentioned before GraphQL solved them. And so my first exposure to this kind of problem space was trying to get JSON API to work uh, for all those various use cases and trying to have that, that flexible application where I, I didn't know how people were going to consume it, but I knew that I had this wide variety of clients. And so I was working on this uh, with a Rails app and using active model serializers, and I very quickly ran into a bunch of problems. And uh, a lot of those problems were with the libraries, but it was also just kind of like conceptually understanding things and making things kind of fit. It's really hard to build a, a, an API that's, that's so flexible and robust, uh, but you're not going to enter into some sort of code problem. Um, so that's uh, kind of the, the origin of, of graffiti. And uh, it was only after that and after that kind of project launched um, that later on, I went to Bloomberg government and, and started to, to think about this in GraphQL terms and, and how our, our applications are really all about a, a graph of data and how do we best serve that graph of data. That's interesting. Um, you can definitely see like the, the move from uh, like kind of the ad hoc JSON responses into, you know, once mobile and things became more of a a common thing to integrate with you, you end up like 
you know, sending duplicate data over a bunch of times. If you have, you know, any kind of model that you might have books with authors and then you might include the author multiple times and now you're sending duplicate data. Um, and JSON API kind of, you know, addresses that a bit, but then like GraphQL lets you do a bunch more like stuff like, you know, making two requests at once or whatever, which is pretty awesome. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then, so is graph or graffiti more than just GraphQL? So graffiti is really about not specifically JSON API or GraphQL, but a a concept of of a resource. And I kind of relate this to to a RESTful resource, but you can still power a GraphQL API this way. The premise is if you have this resource class. If we made that a first-class citizen, if, if, if that was kind of a, a first-class part of Rails, then building a GraphQL API or a JSON API actually becomes a lot easier. Um, and that the, the levels of abstraction that we're given, whether it's a, a normal Rails controller and you're trying to do JSON API, or it's give up all of your controllers and do GraphQL, I don't think either of these were actually the right abstractions and, and, and the right way to go. I think that what we what we needed was a, a resource concept that was a abstraction around your API the same way that Active Record is an abstraction around the database. And it should hold things like how do you modify an Active Record scope to satisfy a query? Uh, how should you... Uh, save things while still performing validations, things like that. And I, I think that if you start to think about this concept, not only does it make sense uh, for building a JSON API or for building a, a GraphQL API, but it also makes sense just for general Rails. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that we place a lot of emphasis on is integration testing. I, I, I think that you'll have a, a lot better of a time uh, using our in- integration tests than the built-in Rails ones. And uh, even things like uh, trying to, to get rid of God objects, right? Tr- try to get rid of a huge user model and break that up. Well, if you have this resource class and you say, all right, well, the API logic should live there. I actually think that you can cut down on your models just as, as kind of a side effect there. Uh, you, you actually have a place to put these things rather than kind of littering that logic uh, across your various models and GraphQL resolvers and service objects and et cetera, I, I think that it all comes down to having this uh, abstraction around a, a kind of domain concept, like a, like a post or a comment. Yeah. Did you, did you ever use, um, what was it called? Active resource or something? Way yeah. Back, yeah. Way back in the day? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really glad that you mentioned active resource because in a lot of ways, we are kind of like a, a spiritual successor to it. Uh, active resource was a, was a client for REST APIs, right? And I, I actually rewatched from time to time the DHH 2006 talk where he introduced active resource because the entire talk is it's not just about active resource, but about why REST is important to begin with and, and why REST uh, forces developers to better envision their domain and, and ultimately leads to better object-oriented code. Uh, but at the end, he gets an active resource. And I think that we all know that active resource kind of failed, right? 
Um, at the time in that 2006 talk, you can you can kind of see in his eyes and the in the tone of his voice that DHH is very excited to to kind of unleash active resource onto the world, and he's excited about the the power of these kind of restful conventions and the things that we can do to build on top of those conventions. But ultimately, the reason that active rec- active resource didn't work out is because there weren't enough conventions. The the Rails backends that the active resource client was trying to target were too varied. And so you end up getting all of these different bugs because everyone has different apps that work in slightly different ways. And then you try to fix that bug, but you introduce a new one and things like that. And it was ultimately that we had too much configuration in our APIs and not enough convention. And that's something that uh, actually Yehuda Katz brought up in his 2012 talk, uh, which is called Rails the Next Five Years. Um, but he's really arguing to bring the conventions that we expect as Rails developers to the API landscape. And if we did that, if we actually had conventions for these things, and we said, all right, here's what your payload should look like. We're not, we're not going to allow you to use JBuilder and do whatever you want. This is, this is the structure of, of the actual JSON. It should be this way. Uh, and here's how you sort, and here's how you filter, and here's how you say greater than and less than, and uh, here's how we're going to save multiple objects at the same time so that you can do nested forms. If we actually came up with those conventions, then we actually could build an active resource. We actually could build something that is this generic API client that looks like active record. And that's what Graviti has with our, our client-side library called SprayPaint. Uh, which is a JavaScript implementation of Active Record, where instead of making a database query, we make an HTTP call. And the reason that Spray Paint works and Active Resource didn't is because Graffiti built on top of JSON API and added those conventions so that we actually had a, a target that we could hit. And once you kind of limit yourself, right? We're, we're Rails developers. We 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 know the freedom that that constraints bring. Once you limit yourself in that way and you say, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna allow all these arbitrary customizations of the payload, you can actually do much more richer experiences uh, with a lot less code. So you you said something that actually changed my like entire line of questions I had. Um, <laughs> tell us more about spray paint. Yeah. Uh, so the premise here, and I think this relates to graffiti in general and even GraphQL, is that what we're kind of doing with the the web development landscape, and and I think that you'll you'll see this with uh, mobile development and single page app development, is we're starting to treat the API layer like a database. I, I think that you even hear that from time to time, like oh, GraphQL is kind of like SQL or something like that. I, th- I think that we're starting to envision um, the API as a database because we have to be flexible. If the server is going to build in all this logic, uh, like kind of a traditional Rails API would, or like someone with Active Model Serializers would, where you have, you know, big post and thin post and you know posts with extra attributes or whatever. Uh, if we stop thinking that way and we didn't put this kind of logic on the server and we instead made the server more like a database that just didn't allow SQL injection, uh, then we can have these really flexible clients. Uh, We can serve as the backend for uh, a a JavaScript client like SprayPaint that that works like Active Record. And we can also serve um, for someone who just wants to curl our API and and, just get back data really easily. 
Um, so the, the, the way that all this works is you say, okay, well, what, what do databases do? Um, and when I think about databases, as, as I told you my story earlier, I, I dealt with Excel a lot. Um, and Excel is basically a database, right? Tables are spreadsheets, and, and, and we do the same kind of operations. The things that I would do in Excel, you know, aside from putting in formulas into cells and crunching numbers, the things that we do with those worksheets are, well, we sort data, uh, we filter that data. Uh, and when you filter, you probably want to say, well, sometimes it starts with this, or sometimes it contains this, or sometimes the number is greater than this, right? Um, if you throw me a bone here a little bit, we also paginate data, maybe less relevant to Excel, but, uh, but that's a common kind of operation. Um, and, and one of the things that GraphQL taught us was we also specify the fields. Um, that's kind of the equivalent of hiding and showing columns. And then the, the final thing that also GraphQL does that kind of fetch me the posts and the comments in a single request, well, that's kind of like um, saying, give me multiple uh, Excel worksheets in a single request. And if you relate that to a database, we know how to do those operations with a database, right? Uh, if I want to order, I, I know my order by clause. If, if we want to filter, I know that I'm going to use a where clause. If I know I'm going to say prefix, then I, I, I know how to write that like query, right? And so the premise is if we can take that finite amount of operations that we need to perform on data, if we can say, all right, the things that we need to do to data are similar to what a Excel person needs to do, then we can kind of limit the scope of what we're trying to target. And, uh, and that's kind of the APIs that we're trying to build. And that's what Spray Paint can target. So now Spray Paint can look like Active Record and do the same thing that Active Record does, which is the same thing that Excel does, right? You say dot where, you say dot order, you say, you know, with Kaminari, you say dot per, dot page, right? Uh, these are, or, or even, even fields, right? You say dot select. Um, or when you want to get those quote unquote multiple worksheets, when you want to say fetch me the posts and the comments, you say dot includes. All of this stuff, if we have the API conventions for it, then we can build a client that looks exactly like Active Record because we we know what to target. We know how to say, oh, it's the it's the include parameter when I want to fetch the post and the comments, right? It's the sort parameter when I want to do the ordering. We fall into all these problems where if some developer says that it's called sort and some developer says that it's called order and some of us support arrays and some of us don't, that's when you have the active resource problem where you can't target something. You don't know how to build that. You don't know what the what the backend is going to support. And so with graffiti building on top of JSON API and targeting those kind of known database operations, that's why we can end up uh, with an, an actual kind of spiritual successor to, to active resources spray paint. That's really interesting because um, the spray paint stuff reminds me a lot of like what people were excited about with Meteor because you could do your effectively your database queries, you know, client side right. uh, transparently and not have to worry about that on the server side. And it effectively is almost the same thing, right? Right. And, and I'll even go uh, a little bit further. Um, one of the things uh, or I guess when we think about GraphQL, we think about that API, right? I'm going to make a request. I'm going to get a response. And, you know, that's kind of also how we think about JSON API. But if you instead thought about it as this resource class, right? And you said, okay, an instance of that resource class can call to JSON or to JSON API or to XML on it, right? If you can do that, then you could tell that resource to fetch its data independent 
of any request or response or any API. And then you could push that data over a WebSocket. You could just say, okay, to JSON, and then pass that over the WebSocket, and now it's available to your JavaScript client. And if you want to see an example of that, uh, you can click the the Y Graffiti post uh, from our homepage, uh, which has as an example where the data on the page is updating in real time based on the back end, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're using active record callbacks. And we say, all right, when we're saving, then call the resource, grab the JSON and pump that over a WebSocket. And we now have this kind of real-time dashboard uh, where everything is updating. uh, And it took about, I want to say, between both the server and the client, maybe 15 lines of code. Wow. So with, you mentioned earlier two things. The first one I want to talk about, uh, you mentioned that there's integration test, like integration testing with Graffiti. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, th- if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, you made the statement that you might find it easier using what's included than even Rails integration testing. Would you mind kind of explaining that some more? Yeah. Uh, so here's here's kind of the other way to explain graffiti. Like you could actually forget about everything that I said prior to this, right? You could forget about APIs and GraphQL and JSON API and all this stuff, and you can instead think about it from the angle of this is the solution to TDD. Uh, I'm not, or at least I have not historically been a, a test first guy. Uh, I have tried my hardest and I always had pain points. And I agreed with a lot of what DHH said with his, uh, you know, is TDD dead uh, posts and videos and about how that really affects the the design of your code base to, to do it that way. And it causes actually damage to the design of your code base. Um, I agree with that. That that really did uh, kind of reflect my own experience. Um, and one of the things that they left off that that kind of series of, of talks with him and, and Kent Beck and Warren Fowler, saying that integration tests were actually kind of the answer to this, right? Where you could write an integration test first, um, but you wouldn't have this kind of design damage anymore because those integration tests are, by their very nature, decoupled from the design of your code. You're not having to say, okay, I'm going to call this method on this object and I'm going to mock this collaborator. No matter how your code is written, you're going to say, okay, execute this request to the API and ensure that I get this data back. And before that, you'll seed some data uh, to the test. You can write these tests uh, without really knowing your implementation and without getting into the the innards of mocking and, and, and all those things that make tests hard. And what that means is that you can do TDD and have a great experience, even if you weren't formally a TDD person. Now, as far as this relates to the built-in uh, specs from, from Rails, we actually build on top of them. So uh, we are using the active support uh, integration session, and uh, we use our spec request specs uh, to do our integration tests but the, the kind of difference for us is that because, again, we have this known target, we know that we do a finite number of operations and we know how they work, then you actually know how to write every test that you're basically ever going to write. Uh, you have to worry about how to see data and how to, how to uh, maybe assert on, on specific attributes that are, are going to be specific to your application. But we can take away the the hard parts of 
okay, how am I actually going to execute the request? What headers do I send? Um, how am I going to say that there's a current user? How am I going to take something as complicated as like the JSON API payload, which can kind of be complicated and difficult to traverse, um, even though I, I, I strongly believe in, in the benefits of that kind of payload, um, but, but it can kind of be a pain to parse. Um, and a developer shouldn't have to be manually parsing that. We should be providing test helpers that just, just kind of easily assert on the things that we know that you want to and need to assert on. Um, so again, this the, the the testing picture is another example of how giving constraints and targeting a limited surface area gives a better experience. Now, the last thing I'm going to say here is traditionally the problem with integration tests is speed, right? It's speed and reliability. Because uh, the integration tests, um, and, and you know, depending on who you are, these are acceptance tests or functional tests or things like that. But um, in a, an integration test that spins up Capybara um, and is actually asserting on the DOM, right? That's not what we do. And that's because, again, our APIs are supposed to be flexible. We're supposed to be serving as a backend for a mobile app and a desktop app and third-party clients, right? We can't kind of couple ourselves to any specific view or any specific client. And so our integration test can target the API, which A, is going to be faster to begin with. And then B, we, again, because of these conventions, we have kind of these kind of quote unquote automatic microservices where you can say the post has many comments remote, and then you pass a a string of a URL on where to get the comments. Um, That's all you actually need to do to execute cross API calls, uh, including authentication. And because it's super easy to do that, that means that we lower the, the overhead and the cost of a microservice approach. Uh, and, I, and I very much, I strongly agree with, with DHH and others who have, who have argued against microservices. Um, but if we have that limited surface area and we can do it that easily, uh, then you can start to break up your application uh, or at least have the option of breaking up your application maybe earlier than you otherwise would. And when you're breaking up that application, that means that you can uh, keep a speedy test suite even when you're executing integration tests that are hitting the database and actually rendering JSON and, and all those other things. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned that uh, I actually wanted to talk about, uh, Vandal. So this is a UI um, but does this actually come out of the box with graffiti or something? Yeah, right? it comes out of the box. Yeah, if you use our, uh, if you go to the quick start, uh, you'll see that we have a Rails application template. So kind of a one-liner to spin up a new Rails app and get up and running. And that will come with Vandal by default. Cool. So I can't remember the name of it. Um, the GraphQL like interface that comes uh, with it's, it. It's graphical. Okay. <laughs> Easy enough. Um, how do like these two kind of things? Do they kind of are they made to solve the same problem? How do they kind of compare? Uh, great question. Um, so GraphQL, uh, to take a step back a little bit, uh, it is going to be a little bit maybe a, a longer answer than than you were looking for there. But but let's go back to explaining GraphQL kind of generally. Um, as part of solving those problems that I mentioned earlier, as part of that specifying the fields and getting a schema and, and, and such like that, uh, what we did was we just totally got rid of the REST and HTTP underpinnings that we kind of have come to expect from REST. Uh, you don't get HTTP caching. You don't get error codes, things like that. 
Um, and you also don't get rest, right? You don't get this kind of envisioning your application as a domain graph kind of behavior. Uh, you go back to RPC, and that's not inherently true. You can you can try to build in your own conventions and stuff to model something very very restish. Um, but in my experience, it looks a lot closer to RPC. It looks like these one-off calls. It looks like the the promote employee call instead of a you know an employee update call. Um, and because of that, you end up with this API that can kind of do anything. It's it's the opposite of what I'm saying, right? It's the opposite of the conventions and constraints that I'm talking about. It gives you the the freedom to do anything that you want. Um, and I think that the graphical interface is an example of where that's not advantageous. Now, the graphical interface uh, will allow you to kind of specify a, a JSON request and we'll give you autocompletes uh, so that you know exactly what you can request, right? So if, if that post has 20 different fields on it, you have an autocomplete so that you know what those fields are, so that you can see what you want to request. You can see what the possible associations are, things like that, right? Um, and that's why people really like Graphical. Like Graphical is a slick quality product. Like there should be no doubt about that. Like people, people love this stuff. But the problem is, there are no kind of conventions around that RESTful resource, right? So what you're doing is you're specifying these fields and you're specifying maybe the, the stuff that you want to get back with this, with this kind of autocomplete syntax. Um, but that's kind of all you get. You don't have a way to kind of meaningfully organize these things. You have an easy way to do autocompletes, but you're fundamentally just typing in a bunch of things and getting back some blob of JSON. And so the Vandal approach is a little bit different. It's, it's saying, hey, our APIs are actually not just this bag of fields and types. Our APIs have concepts. We have the concept of resource. A resource has filters. It has sorts. It has to find a way to paginate. Uh, and so we can build a, in my opinion, better UI based on that. So our UI, rather than you're typing JSON and getting back JSON with an autocomplete, our UI is forms. You have a form and, and drop down. So if you want to say, I, I want to find all the employees where the age is greater than 30, uh, you can type in the number 30. And then you have a drop down where you can say, okay, greater than, greater than equals to, less than, less than equals to. You have this kind of finite number of operations that you can do on that type. Um, and uh, drop down for sort, right? Here are all the sorts that that, that you support. Uh, and then when you get that data back, you're not getting back as a blob of JSON, you're getting it back as a, a grid. Uh, you're getting you know, a stylized grid of data back and you can click the rows to see the associations and things like that. And if you did want to see JSON, just because that's how, how you want to, to view the payload, you can always click a, a view as JSON button and see that. Um, but ultimately, the, the big delta here is that graphical is made for developers, as it, as it kind of should be, right? Uh, made for developers because that's who, who uses it. And the Vandal UI is really made for anyone, including non-technical users. And this is a, a big kind of passion of mine. The, the week before I sat down and, and created Vandal, I was talking to my product owner who had been uh, working with all these uh, various AWS tools at the time, and he's a non-technical guy, but you know, just just to kind of understand what was going on, he was he was kind of looking at these things, and a lot of it is based on JSON. And he said to me, "Just just don't give me another effing blob of JSON. 
Like it, it was just, it did not resonate with him. It, it, he didn't want to know about all these like innards of it. If, if you use, if you use graphical, you have to know a bit about GraphQL, right? You have to know about connections and edges and things like that. And the purpose of Vandal is so that my product owner can use it so that he can just use a drop down and click a button and see the results. And that will be just as helpful for him as it is for a developer who in the same screen will have a URL that they can copy and paste and put it in their browser and execute that same request and get back to JSON. So the the ultimate premise here is uh, domain-driven design. It's a way to elevate these tools past just developers and uh, to the point that other people at our company, um, especially non-technical people, are able to also use those tools because having a shared understanding of our domain about what that post means and what the comments are and and the various operations that we can do with comments and the various data that we have, that's actually really important for everyone, not just developers. I, I feel like as as developers, we often are are vouching for ourselves to say that we should have some kind of input into the product. And I think that the opposite is actually true as well. Uh, product owners or or UX people or other non-technical folks in your team should have an idea of what the data is and they shouldn't have to learn a entire API paradigm and typing JSON and, and, and mentally kind of learning to, to think like a developer in order to do that. Yeah, I've, I really, 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 really like this because, I mean, when I was like, starting to code and do more rail stuff i used you know sql pro or something just to view the database all the time just because you know being able to explore the data uh, visually is so helpful and this gives like you know not just you as a developer the same you know ability to do that you can do you can give this to anybody and they would be able to poke around your database in a useful way and then you know if someone was trying to create like a report or something, and they weren't exactly sure what data they wanted, they could go use this and then give you the, you know, URL and be like, here, use this. Exactly. And, and yeah. that's like, that's incredibly valuable because that was, that was always one of the things that as I was working with other people consulting, um, I'd always get things like that. And it was uh, just a pain to go back and forth with people and try and be like, well, you know, what are you actually looking for here? And if they could have just gone and done that for me and then given me, you know, here's what I want, it would be way easier. And that was kind of the same thing I always felt like with working with front end developers or designers who knew HTML or CSS. I could use, you know, in, instead of using Haml or SAS or something that they would have to learn, they were already familiar with HTML and at least SCSS wasn't too far of a, right. you know, transition for them, you know, having those tools that can communicate between developers and non-developers on a team is just like, it, it needs to all be that way, I feel like. It just saves so much time in the long run. Absolutely. And and there are a few things uh, also along those lines that we have not added to Vandal, but you can really see how we can kind of take that concept and run with it. Uh, one is that uh, we already support, so, so Graffiti generates a schema for you. It's generated automatically. We just kind of infer from your code what everything is. Um, and as part of that, similar to how you might have um, a, an elation file, like an, an, uh, a file listing, you know, your device errors and things like that, 
you can actually list all the various pieces of documentation for graffiti. So here's the documentation on that sort parameter or, you know, what it, what it means to sort on that. Or here's the documentation of this resource or, or the concept of what a post is, things like that. And we can also add that to, to Vandals so that we're having that kind of shared understanding of not only how to fetch the data like a database, but what that data means and how it relates to the, the business value of our company. Um, and the other thing that we have not added to Vandal yet, but I'm particularly excited about is that uh, for a non-technical person, they might not understand APIs and all the various things that's going on under the hood. But what they can do is open up Chrome and go to the Chrome inspector or Firefox and the Firefox inspector. And they can say, okay, the page that we've just loaded, it made this request. And what I would like to add to Vandal is that they should be able to copy that URL for that request, paste it into Vandal, and then do the reverse. So rather than typing into the forums and then we generate the data for you and we show you the URL, you go the opposite way. You take a URL and we automatically generate the forms and we give you the data there. And then you have these non-technical folks and they can say, oh, that's the data that's powering this detail page. Now I understand. That's why it works this way. Things like that, right? So I'm really excited about not only where Vandal is currently, but the direction that we can take Vandal in the future. That's so great. So, um, let's see, Chris, did you have anything else? I think you had a couple of questions. Oh man, that that's super cool though. The all this vandal stuff, I think, is you know, uh, there's just so much of so much of programming has been kind of you have to imagine it in your own head, and tools like this make stuff so much easier and awesome, like yeah. get stuff done so much better. Um, I was curious if you have any, so how long have you been working on this? Because it seems like uh, quite a bit of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a lot of work. Uh, I've been working on it for about three years. Uh, the project that I described, uh, where, where it's kind of an API for a number of different clients, uh, I, I was working on that about three years ago. Um, I have since kind of moved departments. Uh, so I'm now working for for Bloomberg Government. Um and we've been using Graffiti for all new development for about, uh, I think about like a year and a half or two years. Um, it was previously called JSON API Suite. Um, so if you looked at our history, you might not see it uh, as being that old, but it's because it was used to be called JSON API Suite. Um, and the other thing is that uh, until recently, until I think like the end of March, uh, we really did zero advertising of this. And that was uh, that was purposeful. The only way that you would find this project is if you went like deep into the JSON API issues and 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 found this link somewhere because uh, I was commenting. Uh, and that was so that we could have enough users that we could work with people directly and understand all the various problems and and what people really needed out of an API framework like this uh, without getting so many users that breaking backwards compatibility was a huge problem. And, and we had that extra weight of having to support those users. Uh, so after that three years of development, uh, we now hit like the end of March, um, where we're, we're kind of trying to, to market this out to the larger world. We hit a 1.0 um, because we're, we're very confident that these are the scenarios that you need to, to do a, you know, incredibly robust, rich experiences at this point. Cool. Yeah, that's a that's quite a long time, but it makes sense. It's not a 
it's definitely not simple. And a lot of these things were, it always felt like were, it kind of addresses the the problems I always had with like GraphQL and stuff. I'd I would always look into it and dabble a bit, but then be like, eh, I don't know that it's any. I don't know that it's necessarily solving right. all of the problems. And a lot of times, you know, like with microservices, it's just changing the problems that you have and not really addressing everything like you imagined it would be. And this does kind of go that distance, which is awesome. Yeah. And and I had the same kind of experience, right? I, I think that there was a a point in the past three years, maybe a year into it, where I could have dropped everything and instead targeted GraphQL, like just just forget about JSON API and, and the various Rails underpinnings, but I, I could have built on top of GraphQL things instead. But ultimately, it was that it wasn't buying me as much as I, I, I assumed it would. Um, to hear people talk about GraphQL, it seems to solve every problem in the world. It just makes uh, development like waving a magic wand. Um, but after I actually started using it and exploring some scenarios, I, I felt like I was taking a step back in a lot of ways. Like certainly it solved a lot of problems, but maybe one or two steps forward and another step back uh, because I was dropping support for HTTP caching or, or error codes or just in general, the, the the Rails paradigms that I was used to. And so ultimately, I, I felt like it, it was not, it didn't justify so radically moving away from all of the things that we've kind of built up over the years uh, as a Ruby on Rails community. That makes sense. Are you guys planning on doing, this is mostly for Ruby right now, right? And mm-hmm. are you planning on supporting like, you know, Node as a backend in the future or anything like that? Uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, it's, there aren't any real current plans. If I had a six-month sabbatical and I could just do nothing else, that that sounds fun. Uh, certainly, you could do all of this stuff uh, with Node. I mean, it's all just kind of object-oriented programming and knowing the conventions. Um but I, I'm not sure if we'll have that time in the the immediate future, and 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 I'm also not totally sure if we should, and that's because different communities have different philosophies, and I, I think as as I said earlier, as kind of Ruby guys or, or Rails guys, I think that we are familiar with the benefits of convention over configuration, or, or the freedom of constraints, or, or or maybe we're just more likely to build that abstraction. Uh, if I look across the Node community, it's the opposite. It's very low level. It's a, a dislike of, of those abstractions. I think that the majority of people who are using GraphQL are using it in a very low level way. They're they're using the equivalent of Sinatra. Uh, and so could we build this using Node or, and TypeScript? Absolutely. Um, does it conceptually align with that community? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would like to. I would like to to see. That would be fun. Um, but right now, I'm very happy with the with the Ruby on Rails community. That's such a fascinating point. I've noticed that with uh, just JavaScript as a whole too. Like we work a lot in stimulus at my job, and so like I write a lot of just ES6 like classes. And there's a lot of times I'm like, is there an abstraction for this? And it's like, no, <laughs> like, or there might be a library that like does it kind of halfway. It is fascinating. 
Yeah, and it's not it's not because nobody's thought of it, right? Or that right. like there aren't enough developers to go around to build that. It's because of of kind of a philosophy that the that the community has embraced. And so if the if the general premise of graffiti is to limit the surface area and to impose a certain number of constraints uh, in order to reach kind of a greater good, uh, then I'm, I'm not sure if we see that in, in the Node community. And, and ultimately, I think that if you're a GraphQL developer or any developer in the Node community, uh, I, I think that you'll you'll feel that pain point. And and you mentioned Meteor earlier. I, I think that 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 kind of echoes a little bit in in, in Meteor itself. Uh, I I love the concept of Meteor. I, I wish that some of these things would take off. I wish that I wish that the average Node developer that I talked to was using Sales.js or or something like that that had uh, more defined constructs. But it, it just doesn't seem like we're we're at that place right now. Hmm. I have a, a bit of a random question for you. So on the graffiti website in the footer, you have Vue.js. Is that your is that your poison? <laughs> yeah, uh, Bloomberg government uses Vue.js. Okay, how do you like it? I love it actually. Uh, I think that Vue is the the best of the V and MVC frameworks. Um, I, I prefer it over React. Um, I've had some bad experiences with, with Angular. And I think the only thing that I would really, you know, in my own head, make a true competitor to view at this point is Ember, uh, just because Ember is not trying to be the V in MVC. Ember, Ember is trying to be MVC. Ember, Ember is trying to do a lot more. Uh, and so I, I really like how easy view is to get started. I, I love that I can just, especially just drop in spray paint, right? Because again, if we're thinking MVC, if that's the V, well, I have spray paint, that's the M. So I'm not, I'm not uh, missing too much if I already have that. Um, I had some initial kind of, kind of problems with uh, just kind of learning the basics of, of views reactivity system. But after that, it's been really pleasant to work with. That's awesome. We are a podcast divided. Chris is team view. I am team react. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, although I've been using stimulus more and more on simple things. I really, really enjoy that. But um, what's cool about this is like, you know, getting data from the back end will be extremely easy in whatever you're using, really, because um, you'll just be able to effectively, you know, use a active record like interface on the client side, which is really exciting. I can't wait well, to try this out. And that and that has kind of downstream benefits as well. So like do you use Redux? Uh I have in the past. Um or what what's the Vuex? Uh UX, yeah. Yeah. So any of these kind of like flux style patterns and, and for listeners, uh this is state management, right? Uh you can describe this in a few different ways, but the premise is we're going to uh, stick all of our records into an in-memory JavaScript store. We're going to have uh, various ways to kind of access that store. And one of the things that gets us is that if we have a component that's nested nine levels deep, that the data will automatically sync. Um, I have kind of a, a bone to pick with these kind of flux style uh, libraries. I, I actually think that they are a... Uh, incorrect abstraction. And I think it's because of that V and MVC mentality. I, I think that if you're a React or a Vue and, and you're kind of hands off with a model layer and 
obviously your backend, you don't know what backend uh, someone is trying to support. So your, your data layer is kind of this big gray box, right? I, I don't know how you're going to fetch your data. And so that means that I need this additional library that says, once you figure out, you fetch your data, now you can use this thing to like manage the state of that data. And I think that if you took a step back and you said, what if these frameworks actually emphasize the M? What if they uh, were trying to, to more cohesively build something? Then I would say, okay, well, if, if the model is in charge of uh, sending data to and from the server, shouldn't that just be its own in-memory store? Uh, shouldn't we not need a Vuex or a Redux if I had that true model layer? And if you look at Ember with Ember data, uh, that's the case. Uh, Ember data will not have that problem with a component nested nine levels deep trying to sync data because Ember data is actually the M and MVC, and it does have a identity map that is storing everything in memory, and it's managing that for you. And so with Spray Paint, we also do that. Uh, you don't necessarily need a Vuex or a Redux to manage the things uh, that you used to need it for. Uh, this is an optional thing. In fact, it's opt-in. Uh, you don't have to do the in-memory map if you don't want to. You could keep using Redux and keep using Vuex if you want to. Um, but for, for anyone who agrees with me uh, in that regard, uh, that you don't want to kind of have to call these uh, various kind of other methods and jump through various hoops to, to get that gain, um, then I think that's the other benefit of something like spray paint. That's really cool. Yeah, I... I mean, every time I use like Vuex or something and, you know, was working with forms, I was always like, this is ridiculous. Like there's nothing like it's clear that they were so focused on, you know, the one like, okay, here we have some data. Let's render HTML based on that. But there was no, you know, like no deeper understanding of how to handle forms and things like that. And it just has kind of been left is a mess and some people are working on you know extra libraries to help but it's been uh it's nasty you know well, like, and, I'm and i'm glad you, you mentioned uh forms because this is a, this is a huge pet peeve of mine since before client-side development at all right uh even when you're using uh default rails even like no stimulus um if you're going to do a, a nested form which is not uncommon, right? I, I just want to save the post and its tags in a single request, right? It has to be a single request because it has to all be the same transaction. Uh, that is actually kind of non-trivial to do. Um, when you want to say, all right, uh, click this button and now I have a new field to add a new tag. Uh, well, I have to copy the HTML and clone that. And, and, and now I have to look into libraries that'll, that'll do that kind of copying for me or build that in myself or I don't know what stimulus does in that in that regard, um, or if, if it's if, if it's a you know view or react or react, then you're getting a lot of the problems that you just mentioned. And so I'm I'm very happy to say that uh, that problem was really a first class citizen in in the development of graffiti. We have a tutorial uh, in sample app that's an employee directory. And on it is a nested form where you are saving the employee, the positions, and the departments in a single request. And even though it's a single request, uh, that request could contain uh, updating only the employee name or uh, doing nothing with the employee, but uh, adding a position or deleting the department or something like that. Uh, so that's that's really a first class citizen and something that we tried really hard to, to target as part, of, as part of graffiti to just say, hey, your domain is a graph of data. 
you should be able to just send that graph of data to the server and not need all of these various other uh, hoops to jump through. Wow, that's awesome. I'm really excited to try this sometime soon. Um, do you? So you guys are using it pretty heavily. Um, do you have any other like big users that have uh, been using it for some cool stuff? Uh, we do. I'm trying to think of whose name I'm allowed to sell because I don't. I don't, <laughs> don't want to out anyone. Uh, Vox Vox Media has uh, they blogged about us, so that's public. Uh, they use JSON API Suite, not for their homepage or anything, but for for internal products. Uh, Skylight. Uh, so uh, uh, Tilda uh, and Yehuda has this company. Um, it looks like they are moving their back end to it. Uh, I know that they have not finished, but I know that they're working on it now. Uh, and uh, within Bloomberg, um, I the the team that I was on with that original product, uh, uh, the kind of the uh, all of the teams around it kind of moved on to different things. It was more of a, a managerial change than a technical one. Uh, but one of our sister teams uh, that. Uh, still does telemetry work is using it uh, and then Bloomberg government proper. Um, there are others. I just am not, uh, I'm not sure if I'm at the liberty to, to share with them yet. That's awesome though. Um, it's really cool to see that Skylight's moving over to it, which is, you know, a big kind of inspiration for stuff. Yeah. I've actually been, you know, lucky and, and fortunate enough uh, to connect with Yehuda uh, himself on this. Uh, he's, really been kind of, um, you know, shepherding this project and giving us some some advice and, and guidance uh, for the past year, uh, just kind of in, in kind of a chat and in, in some phone calls and things like that, uh, so that we are kind of doing doing the best to honor a lot of the the groundwork that that he laid out with with Jason API a long time ago. Cool, cool. Um, I guess that's where we should end it. Um, where can people find graffiti online? We're at graffiti.dev. And again, it's graffiti with a PH, like graph. Cool. Lee, this is, uh, this is all really awesome. I did a little bit of GraphQL at my last job before I left. They started kind of going all in on it right as I was transitioning out. And I haven't really looked at it since, but this project is like so well done that I want to like just dig in and like find a reason to use it. Awesome. That is that is really great to hear. I think that you guys are our target audience. I think it's it's harder to sell maybe a, a node developer who's already using GraphQL. But if you are someone who has a history of Ruby on Rails, then then we are in your wheelhouse. And I would actually encourage anyone, even if you're not actively working on an API right now, to to take a look because I, I think it's just a good experience with Rails. Uh, it, you know, even aside from the API aspect. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, any any places on the uh, the interwebs you want to shout out where people can find you, anything like that? Uh, I'm at RichmolJ, R-I-C-H-M-O-L-J on Twitter. Um, but otherwise, uh, go to graffiti.dev. And if anyone wants to chat more, uh, there are links to our Slack chat on there as well. And I'm, I'm pretty active. Uh, and thank you guys for uh, for having me so much. And, and, and thanks for... Uh, for Casey for, for introducing us to each other. Yeah. Shout, shout out Casey. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Chris, I'm glad you're back and well, are you behind on work? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Way behind, but your, oh, is your we'll life like a hell of inbox? Yeah. It's pretty much just digging through, you know, a week's worth of email, which is not the most fun. <laughs> that is, that is vacation. It's like, you have to, 
you can't relax because you know everything's piling up. Oh yeah, it was it was bad, but oh well, we'll get through it. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll call it here, and we'll do this again next week. All right. See ya. Thanks, guys.